Today's guest, Anais Neumann again, and we talk on the second episode about executive hiring in details on closing executives. And also later then, you know, it's almost like guess the price, right? Look, this is candidate A you spoke to, this is candidate B. Where do you think they are? Um, I know this is a bit controversial because, um, you know, transparency with your hiring team is super important. But in that very early phase of calibration, they ask for tip top. They need to understand what the price tag related to tip top is. And then we can always sort of calibrate our way down to say, say for example, the middle ground. You know, what does what does a, a perhaps less unicorny type of profile look like? Um, and, uh, and and what kind of price tag associate is associated to that? Uh, once you have this out of the, va- the way, you can start um, you can start working towards a profile that is perhaps a little bit more realistic in terms of what the, the company can afford. We talked on the second episode about executive hiring in details on closing executives, executive salary bands, stock options, equity compensation, how to deal with competing offers, the value of storytelling in the closing conversation and what to do as a startup if you're not having big assets yet beside a story to attract and close the right candidates that are executives. So high value again. Thank you, Anais. Let's dive into it. Then you can build trust and then you can spend less time communicating and more time just getting shit done. Then I went home and, and thought about this sentence. We basically put it on the table. Hiring takes time. People are trained. How to objectively judge certain situations. It's very, 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 very hard to change things. That was the learning. Entrepreneurs with empathy. On the people side. Welcome back again, Anais. It is so nice that you are talking again because we already had a very, um, very, very good episode on um, executive recruitment executive versus non-executive hiring, bar raising in hiring, um, and DEI and executive hiring. And then we were kind of cutting um, the episode off because it was just so intense already. And I always want to keep it like 30 <laughs> minutes plus plus a bit. <laughs> um, yes. And now we're sitting here again doing um, another episode, an extension on how to close executives if you evaluated them in, in the right way, but also maybe a bit on the evaluation piece um, um, to, to, to make a good um, um, connection there. And also on the compensation, right? So that's something what we will dive into. Um, and um, yeah, you don't need to introduce yourself again because everybody who saw the first episode knew you. And if you're just listening now, Please listen to the first episode with Anais. Um, it was an, uh, a great value. Um, so let's talk about closing executives. Anais, how do you do that? Yeah. Hi, Thomas. First of all, thanks for having me again. It's been a blast the first time around. So really happy to uh, to be invited a second time. Um, yeah, those are great topics you chose for today. Um, topics that I feel definitely add a lot of value um, to just any recruiter, not just exec recruiting. I think the higher you go up in the ranks um, of, of of the types of profiles that you recruit for, the more difficult it is, of course, to close them. And the closing, I think, you know, while it is something that is happening at the very end of the process, um, you know, it shouldn't be that 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 last filtering stage, right? Closing, obviously, there's this good old, uh, uh, what was it, Wolf of Wall Street um, uh, analogy that says ABC, right? Always be closing. That's the truth, right? It shouldn't be something that you could sh- should concern yourself with at the end of a process, but rather all the way through. Because, yeah, if you don't do that, then you might be putting a lot of effort, especially in executive search, engaging a candidate, especially if they were passive, getting them through all of the different, uh, you know, 
uh, uh, hoops of, of the interview process. And then boom, you realize there's a mismatch in expectations, whether that's compensation or role expectations. And then you get an offer reject, which is, you know, the biggest or the, the, the worst, you know, downer that, that you can think of as a recruiter. So what I like to, what I like to do, first of all, you know, um, especially in executive recruiting is, um, compensation is not something you can bring up right off the bat. It is something you need to position early on, but I guess we always have this first, um, we call it exploratory conversation, um, where we get to know a candidate, right? Um, you see a candidate on LinkedIn, you know, they're great. You want to get in touch. First, you have to get them excited, not just about the compensation <laughs> and, and mostly about the role, the company, the mission, right? So you start with that. Um, after that exploratory conversation, um, usually that's when you have that moment where the candidate tells you whether or not they're interested to move forward, right? Um, you probably already know a little bit about them. You put all your cards on the table in terms of the, uh, the role. Um, and then before moving forward, if they tell you that they're interested, I think that's the the best um, the best uh, moment to just say, wonderful. Well, this is what the process is going to look like. You're going to go through um, these different stages just to give you a full overview of what sort of time you're committing to. Um, and while we're at it, um, I'd love to also give you a little bit of insights into our compensation. So here's where most recruiters actually would do it differently. They'd say, Oh, by the way, you know, like five minutes before closing of a call, by the way, what's your compensation expectations? Actually, what I like to do, and I like to do that with behavioral interviewing as well, is I first give out my cards and then I'll let them, um, you know, tell me um, they, they basically internalize my what, what I just shared with them. And then I let them tell me, OK, now that I know um, how things are at, I don't know, Amazon, HelloFresh, then let me tell you a little bit about myself. So how do I do? How do I do this? Is basically, look, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about compensation. So at Amazon, you have a very, um, you know, a very easy compensation model, which is based in equity. The part that I really want to get your attention on or focus your attention on is the equity. It is, you know, has a lot of upside. It has a specific vesting schedule that's a little bit at first hard to get around to. But once you get there, uh, you'll understand that this is a really good, uh, that this is a really good package we're offering you for the long term. So what you're giving out is obviously already information for candidates to understand, oh, wow, that's really similar to what I have. Or on the contrary, it's like very different. So that gives them the opportunity to ask a couple more questions. And then you could come in and say, well, now that you know how compensation works for us, or at least the high level overview, what, what would be your compensation expectations coming into this role at this stage where you don't know exactly uh, what the role entails? And usually you already get a little bit of, uh, of insights, right? Um, and I think this is also when you've warmed up the candidate a bit and um, you understand how much they're willing to share. So some candidates will always be very, very um, conscious about getting compensation right with you. They've probably been in a situation where they've perhaps not shared their expectation or compensation with you correctly or with the previous recruiter and then gotten into this, uh, uh, you know, back and forth where, where both parties were trying to understand. Um, or they, you know, they are still new to this and they don't know exactly how to position it. And what we see a lot um, or I see a lot as a, as a recruiting manager is that um, 
Yeah. Um, recruiters, uh, first of all, don't always have the confidence to have these very financial conversations. They sometimes lack the, the lingo or I want to say the, the, the definition of key terms. So if you're working in a company that has equity, whether that's a private company or a public company, as part of their compensation, you should definitely take a crash course in equity compensation or just generally equity. What are the different terms that you'll come across? You know, um, RSUs, which are actual shares, VSOPs, which are virtual shares, just ease up, right? Like um, those are, there's a, a huge difference between those two shares because um, be between these, these share types, because essentially one share type is actual money in the bank once you're able to cash them out. And another share type is obviously a little bit more risky because it's not realizable until a specific event happens. And I think that's a point that a lot of candidates sometimes don't know about and a lot of recruiters don't know about. So really putting, comparing apples to apples, cash money and monopoly money is very important. Um, yeah. And, and you know, I think, um, Elise, what, what is, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, exactly what, what I think is, is um, also important in terms of context. If there is a recruiter maybe um, that mm -hmm. um, is not on, is not maybe used also to this um, compensation levels because they're basically not an executive, they're a recruiter and not an executive, but they talk with executives about detailed communication, uh, yeah. uh, compensation questions and maybe need to answer a very specific question on the evaluation of a company okay. or on the risk, right? That's something where you really need to be prepared and maybe you don't need to answer it in detail, but you, you better have a story ready um, that on a high level um, makes sense on the receiving end, right? And I think what is also important, what you mentioned here is that the closing happens in the first conversation through pre-closing conversations by setting the expectations and having expectations, right? Because a lot of companies don't have them. I also see it often when we are hired for executive search um, that we ask about the compensation um, structure and then they, they tell us, um, this is actually what we want to hear from you. And of course, we always map the market. We always um, give an overview and insights and ranges of for this level of role with that complexity and that company stage and that revenue and that markets, whatever it is, right? Um, You can either go down that road and then you land at a um, compensation at range one to, uh, or 100, I don't know, 50 to 180. But if you go down that road, then you're landing maybe more at a um, 180 to 250 conversation, compensation because of X, Y, Z. Um, is that something you feel comfortable? And then it's like, oh, now we actually just wanted to pay 120. Okay, then you're not looking what you're looking for, right? Um, you either adjust the compensation or the profile. Um, so that that's something what is, I think, important also early on. And I think this is where recruiters can add a lot of value because they're out there talking to so many people, but it just adds value if you are prepared. In case you like my show, please subscribe. I would really appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, you raise an interesting point, which is the point of how do you bring external market data de into a company, right, that is trying to hire a specific profile and and just realize as well, what I was, what I had in mind for this profile is absolutely not what I can get, right? It's like a, you've got champagne taste, but in the end, uh, uh, you only have the budget for beer, which, you know, could still work for whatever party you're planning, but uh, I, I guess it's just a different type of caliber. And I think um, I, I've had that situation many, many times. Um, you know, especially when I was working in a startup environment, where of course you're you're going for the unicorn, you're going for the person from you know top tier tech companies, and then when the salary conversation is there, um, 
obviously there, there's a bit of a, like a huge disconnect. Um, mapping out this data, um, really also, um, you know, showing your hiring managers or your compensation team or your HR team, if there's one, right, what the data looks like allows you to have these conversations. Um, what I've also been doing in situations like that, where I knew, look, um, my job is to bring um, the best candidate to the business. That doesn't mean I can afford the best candidate, but I need to show my hiring manager what the good candidate looks like. So sometimes I would deliberately, um, you know, be a little bit vague, especially as you get calibrated on a profile, you would get deliberately vague around, um, you know, compensation and just ask your um, both hiring manager and candidate to take a bit of a leap of faith. Of course, you don't want your candidate to invest like an entire process with, uh, uh, with the company and then realize that salary expectations are completely out of band. But um, I, I want to give my hiring managers a taste of what good looks like. And also later then, you know, it's almost like guess the price, right? Look, this is candidate A you spoke of, this is candidate B. Where do you think they are? Um, I know this is a bit controversial because, um, you know, transparency with your hiring team is super important. But in that very early phase of calibration, they ask for tip top. They need to understand what the price tag related to tip top is. And then we can always sort of calibrate our way down to say, for example, say, for example, the middle ground, you know, what does what does a, a perhaps less unicorny type of profile look like um, and, uh, and and what kind of price tag associated is associated to that. Uh, once you have this out of the, va- the way, you can start um, you can start working towards a profile that is perhaps a little bit more realistic in terms of what the, the company can afford. So yeah, it helps. <laughs> but you know, sometimes you have a you have these tricks, right? Um, especially when it comes to bringing um, a, a diverse um, slate of candidates to the table. Um, sometimes it's about really encouraging the hiring manager to to really assess um, what that looks like and um, and make make up their mind by themselves rather than you doing all the filtering on the front end. And uh, you have experience in both in. Um or in all three, I would say, in early stage startups, in maybe scaling phases, um, but also mm-hmm. mature scaling phases, and then also very mature corporate business global global um, leading companies. Do you see a yeah. difference when it comes to closing um, candidates also in terms of the brand you have behind your back mm-hmm. at some point? Yeah. Oh, 100%. I mean... Uh- <laughs> As a recruiter with Amazon, as a recruiter with Facebook, um, clearly, um, I was not very active on LinkedIn. I had a great brand to support me, which are, you know, things that I, I changed after a while when I realized, well, maybe the brand that I work with, whether it's Amazon or Facebook, doesn't necessarily stand for exactly what I stand for, even though I still support the company I work for. But yeah, I mean, you know, before I made that realization, I think my brand um, or the brand of of the company I worked for helped a lot. I'm going to give you an example. When I was working, um, so in in Facebook in Israel, um, Israel is is a huge tech hub, right? And um, the bigger, the biggest names are there um, and working on really, um, you know, cutting edge type of technologies usually. So um, I was competing with um, Google, I was competing with Amazon um, and and a lot of other different companies like Intel. Um, So when I was hiring um, for Facebook and I was at the offer stage with, say, for example, uh, an architect, like principal architect in engineering, 
uh, you could bet that they had an offer from Google. You could pet, bet that they had an offer from Amazon. Now, between you and I, Facebook and Google are pretty much at the same sort of compensation level. I think Amazon is slightly below, very slightly. So sometimes, you know, um, it's it's easy if it was an offer with Amazon, it was easy for, for them to see the upside at, at Facebook uh, because of benefits, canteen, all of the, like, it was just very exciting, you know. Um, but when I was competing with people from Google, it was a whole different you know, it was a whole different game because suddenly it was almost a like for like competition. But what you had to do is arrange um, a, a, a ton of meetings, um, you know, to, to get people really bought into the mission. You know, um, there, there was a, a whole exercise where um, we had to be very, very self-confident and go to the candidate and say, OK, you've got another offer. Tell me exactly where. Tell me, OK, Google. Great. So what team is it? What are they working on? Oh, really? Isn't that a product that's like been around for a long time? And, you know, Facebook or the, the job that we're offering you is one that is like developing this new product. So it's not really maintenance work. You're going to set, you know, you're going to set the, the, the framework for something. Oh, great. Wonderful. So why don't I put you in contact with so-and-so? They uh, they changed. Um, they were previously at Google. They came from Google to Facebook to us because they saw the um, they saw the impact that they could have, you know. So you're trying to almost orchestrate and, and um, schmooze the person into um, making them understand that, hey, you know, there's people I can identify with in this company. There's a mission I can identify with. And in, in very in very politically correct ways or respectful ways, if you can, try to also diminish the value of the mission um, that the competitive offer has, right? Um, so we used to do a lot of market intel. Uh, we had our ears and eyes everywhere understanding what Google is up to here, what they're building or other companies and what the general sense and feel of the, of the team was. And we knew um, when someone was interviewing also with another company, we knew we could um, very strategically pluck people that had previously worked at that company into a cell call with this candidate to say, oh, you know, I've been there. It's, it's, uh, it's been peculiar, but I'm much more happy here now, you know? So it was very, very nifty. And uh, yeah, <laughs> right, right then and there, it's not about the compensation. It's really about the mission is, and, and the amount of schmoozing you can do. And, and when you talk about, or when you talk about your experience from um, the startup world where you don't have the perfect case study of an executive or of somebody already from a, another brand, right? Because I think at that scale, mm -hmm. you have options. But what if you don't have options? Yeah. Um, wh what could what can you do to make it work, even if compensation is really not mm -hmm. matching? And I think at some point what we yeah. can hopefully both agree, but I, I don't know your perspective, but would be curious. Um, I think the base salary, it just needs to fit. Yeah. Um, you cannot do a lot around that. And I think in an earlier stage, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and also if the candidate is already well off already and really wants to take the mm -hmm. risk, um, then okay. But expecting from somebody um, to make significant um, less on the base is just not possible yeah. in many, many cases. Why? Because you have a living standard, you have a family, you have whatever you have, mm -hmm. right? And this needs to fit. Yeah. And on top, of yeah. course, there can be a story and risk and, and also then reward. Um, but on a base salary thing, it's hardly negotiable. But with startups, it's, it's often the case. What do you do? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, I mean, I can 
think back to when I was working at Pitch, right, which um, which is a um, a presentation tool, which is a, a Berlin startup, right? Um, so they had the standard uh, startup compensation, right? You're going, you you go in, you've got a base, which I think compared to other companies and non-private companies, perhaps the base was was a little bit better um, than what you would say, especially I was at the time, um, you know, used to Amazon where the compensation was capped and uh, the base compensation was capped. But I mean, there's base and then there's what? There's equity, what about the equity? Well, the equity is um, ESOP, right? So um, employee stock options, um, which are given, but it is not, you can you can take this to the bank unless the company actually, you know, gets sold, goes public. I mean, all of these, um, all of these events that trigger liquidation of the, yeah, you of need the stock. An, exactly. You need an event, right? And um, yep. so f- first of all, I mean, to be 100% transparent, before I joined Pitch, I was at Facebook. I joined Pitch um, with a pay cut um, because I could afford it. And also because I was quite exactly. excited about um, a lot of different things like the mission, right? So for me, what did I do? And this is also something that I would recommend every recruiter does on the other side to really feel comfortable positioning the EVP is what's the story, right? Crunch base, first place, right? When was the company funded? Uh, found, uh, yeah. Founded. <laughs> what are the different funding rounds? Who are the investors that invest? Right. That that is a badge of honor. If you've got you know um, investors like I don't know Y Combinator or Index Ventures or things like that, like those big um, investors that have already backed. And also what the what the founders did and the existing team members already in the past, exactly. maybe right. I think that's always good. Absolutely. And Pitch was a wonderful example um, because the founder of Pitch at the time uh, or before Pitch had been the founder of Wunderlist, which was a, 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 um, what was it? Um, uh, a to-do list um, program, which I loved, which doesn't exist. It's, it's, uh, it's actually been sold off to Microsoft, which was also for me, wow, if, if they have sold their company, if the, the, the founder has sold their company to Microsoft previously, then that's a pretty good, um, that's a pretty good indication, right? So this is sort of the story that uh, I told myself that um, at the time I had to also kind of make up for myself. And then, you know, as a recruiter, same thing, um, you'd continue to understand, okay, how can I, how can I share this with candidate? How can I give candidates the, um, the, the, um, yeah, how can I give them this little bug, right, about the mission, about what the company is doing, how they're going to revolutionize XYZ, and how some of the financials um, up to that day already speak to the um, speak to the fact that a lot of other people, investors, um, etc., have already put a lot of um, uh, a lot of faith in the company, right? So um, in that case, it's um, yeah. Say for example, pitch. Um, they just received a. a huge funding round, right? Which um, compared to other companies at the same size and the same um, sort of uh, domain was huge. So those were all several selling points that you could use. Now, it is true coming back to your statement that at some point, like there, if you try to hire, say, a, a mid-level software engineer, um, 
yeah, it's not an executive salary. They probably are not at the time in their life where they've worked for 24 years. They've got a lot of cash in the bank and they can take on this passion project. Yeah. And say, you know, I don't need, I don't need the 250,000 in base. I can do it 150. Um, and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to take that leap of faith. But for, um, for senior software engineer or mid level or whatever, maybe that's not, that's not something that they can do. So yeah, being real from the get go to say, look, um, we're, we're going to start here in terms of the base salary, um, but we have confidence that we're reviewing the ranges as we grow. Um, of course, as a shareholder in the company, you are, you know, directly connected to the, um, to the value that you create with the company. So again, it's a, it's a leap of faith. I'm using this word a lot, but it's really what it is. And then you as a recruiter, your job is to give um, the person as much information as you can to help them make that uh, leap of faith, right? So for example, um, you know, in every company I've worked at, we had specific, um, <laughs> some of them were not necessarily mandated by, um, by recruiting, but um, I learned to, for example, help model uh, a candidate's current compensation versus the offered compensation and say, look, uh, let's open an Excel spreadsheet real quick. Um, and we'll put year one, year two, year three. And then we're going to, you know, start with the very raw data, base salary equity. And then we're going to build on top of that a little bit of a, a compensation increase factor. And on top of that, we're going to build uh, perhaps stock growth, you know, um, these sorts of things. So this is something that, um, during all of the stages where you connect with a candidate, you should be doing um, because, well, first of all, it gives them a lot of transparency. And second of all, you have no idea how, um, I mean, of course you have an idea, but you know that this um, this really creates a bond between you and the candidate. The candidate suddenly sees you as not the person that just wants to get a quick signature um, on a contract, but as someone that genuinely cares, that genuinely, genuinely tries to understand and genuinely tries to make you understand. Um, I've come off of uh, compensation calls with candidates or even offer calls where candidates told me, listen, I've never been on a call um, where someone was able to, to explain to me so clearly in such clear terms um, what the compensation would look like in different scenarios, hyper growth, moderate growth. Um, and, and, you know, I've been told, hey, I, I feel like, you know, you're, you've been a banker or some form of financial person in, the, in, a pa in your past life. But really, I'm not. I mean, I, I'm really not. I just know all the different concepts very well um, that have to do with grants, refreshers, vesting, vesting schedules. Um, of course, after, you know, um, 10 plus years in recruiting, you get to, to figure out how the different companies operate. Many of them operate very similarly. There's not, you know, five, six, seven types of, uh, of remuneration or stock remuneration. There's perhaps three or four tops. And honestly, usually you only deal with stock option or RSUs. And the rest is more of, a, of an exception. So once you get that down pat, um, you can really show the candidate, hey, this, this recruiter knows what they're talking about. So um, let me have them explain my compensation back to me and then explain the compensation that they're offering to compare. In case you have any feedback or anything you want to share with me, please Send me an email on thomas at peoplewise.com or hit me up on LinkedIn. And in case you really enjoy the show, please subscribe. I would really appreciate it. Yeah, and I think also the earlier you are um, in the company, the more the founder needs mm -hmm. to be present in terms of storytelling and also in terms of um, 
building also a relationship during the hiring process and not just I evaluate and I'm skeptical. Of course, that's one piece to really make sure is it the right fit, yeah? But it, the same importance for executive hiring, in, especially in an early stage, but also later stage. Um, but later stage, you also have other options, right? But um, early stage, you often don't, don't have another option than just telling a compelling story and make the person believe that they want to be part of it and can contribute, right? Yeah. That's often the only thing you have. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Um, and okay. I think um, we're also looking at it with a lens coming out of COVID where a lot of us have been used for a couple of years to just do everything over Google Meet, right? Um, or, or Zoom or whatever you use, Teams, God forbid. But, um, you know, we forget that there was a time when, um, and I, I know that not every company would do that, but um, I often forget that there was a time when I was working at Amazon where Amazon brought every single candidate over um, to Luxembourg or to wherever they were in, whichever office they were interviewing for, to meet with people face to face. All meetings were face to face. Quite Frankly, I think very few companies do that today, even out, out of COVID, right? Uh, even if there is no sort of medical concern to traveling. But um, what I see um, companies have to resort to um, more than before is, you know, especially at that critical offer stage, if a company, if um, if a candidate is coming from somewhere, um, you know, local or not local, it's bringing people in to have coffee chats into the office if there is one um, to see, you know, what what the what the feel, what the culture is, to see other people in action. Uh, that says a lot, especially if there's still a lot of companies that are um, very keen on return to office or just very um, that you know like to call themselves hybrid, but in the end there is still a, a big mandate to be in the office. You need to give people um, that that human touch because um, I think again um, more and more um, we've seen candidates and rightfully so empowered to not just choose the best paying job but you know a job that might be paying well even though not the best paying at the expense um, you know of a better paying one but they know that in that in that job that might not be top 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 of the pops compensation they have this um connection with the mission connection with the people uh connection with the office and premises and just the look and feel of it right um this and many other things um contribute nowadays to closing a candidate more than compensation does um any final words for you to close executives to close executive specifically, I think um, closing is a team sport, even though you do a lot of the pushing. In the end, um, if I'm a recruiter, an executive recruiter in a company, and my hiring team is not willing to um, take out the schmoozing guns, if you will, that's problematic. Because A, that's a sign that your company doesn't really care about hiring. So for me as a recruiter, that's problematic. Um, so I think your secret weapon, your, your, your secret weapon should be your stakeholders, your hiring manager, your hiring team. Um, you know, even, even the HR person um, could be involved and, and could have a, a quick coffee chat or, um, you know, some form of interaction with the candidate um, to get them to be excited about coming on board, right? So, um, yes, um, you do, you as a recruiter should always be closing, but closing in the end is a team sport and a candidate will not join 
a company or accept an offer because you've been such a such a charming recruiter, but because every other star, every other star aligns, you know, the mission, the people that they'll work with, uh, the role, of course, very important. Um, and you need to you need to align these stars to help you in this uh, in this closing effort. That's a final word. Um, thank you so much, Anais, to be on the show again. Um, and let's close it with that sentence and last final uh, wisdom. Yeah, I'm happy to. I'm glad you found it to be a, to be a good, uh, you know, worthy last sentence. <laughs>